Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We are so glad you've tuned in. My name is Ryan and I'll be your host today. Our prayer as you listen to this sermon series on the final journeys of Paul in Acts is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. All right, well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23 this morning, Acts 23, uh, looking at verses 1 to 11. Uh, as we've been going through uh, the, the book of Acts, we'll be pausing after today, and at some point later, we'll get back to Acts, uh, but we're going to take a break for Christmas, as I mentioned earlier. And so we have been looking at uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, during this trial, uh, and something that just keeps standing up to me for Paul is that just thinking of everything he is going through and how his theology is being worked through as he's experiencing all of this. Uh, and so just it's neat to think that all this is happening to Paul while in the midst of it, he is writing his letters to these other churches, that Paul's theology is not coming together in a nice, clean environment, just sitting in an office with no one around, uh, that you can see uh, his, what happens in Acts, you can see it in his writings. And I think it's just, that's just a good example as we think about that, that as we continue to grow and work through our own theology, that that comes together while studying the Bible, but also while being in communion with believers, but also while living out our faith and seeing that in action. And, and we see that with the Apostle Paul, and I think it's just neat to see. The other thing I, I, I keep thinking of in, in this whole story of this account the last couple of weeks is this poor tribune, this Roman tribune. He's been trying to figure out why this mob is so angry at Paul and he just can't get any answers. It always ends up with, with them rioting or being angry and wanting to tear Paul apart. And he can never get to the bottom of what is happening to, in, 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 this, in this Paul's life. And so that brings us to Acts 23. He is going to try once again to get some answers to why the mob is so angry at Paul and so his strategy in this passage is to put Paul before the Sanhedrin, made up of a high priest, Sadducees, and Pharisees, uh, this court, to, to try to work through it this way, to figure out what is going on, to get to the truth of, of this, to the bottom of this. And, and in these verses, verses 1 to 11... Um, I believe, and this is where we'll kind of be leaning as one big theme, that we see in these verses how the Apostle Paul is ordinary, that he is a man. But we see in the midst of that the extraordinary in Jesus who stands with him in that time. And so let's, let's just read those verses, verses 1 to 11, just so you see the whole picture, see what happens from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, or the end of the next day, I should say. And so let's, let's just read that. Verses 1 to 11. 
He says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning that uh, your spirit would open our eyes and, and understand the, the great truths found in this, word, in, in this passage on who Jesus is and how he comes and stands with us even in our most difficult days. And we thank you and we just pray for our time in your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at verse one. Before we get to the main theme, I guess we could call this an important side note to see here. That he first starts off before the Sanhedrin by telling them that he has lived his life before God with a clean conscience. And so if you remember last week, I believe it was last week, Mark talked about how when we are telling the world about Jesus, a good way to do that, as we see in this passage from Paul, is to share our story, to give our God story of what Jesus has done. And that's what Paul has just finished. But I want to partner that with what he says here as well, that he gives his story of what Jesus has done, but also his life gives evidence of this that he has lived his life with a clean conscience before God. So meaning he is telling them, this is what Jesus has done for me and my life is lived in this way. See, it doesn't make sense for us to be telling about what Jesus has done, but then to have this hidden, private, sinful life that we're not dealing with. That Paul here stresses the importance of having a clean conscience before God. And this in no way means that, that he is saying he has a perfect life. But the idea is that he is seeking to have a blameless life, a holy life, but when he falls short, 
As we all do fall short in sin, he makes that right. He does not continue allow it to linger in the darkness. And this is the idea here, having a clean conscience. Um, the idea of conscience, we're not going to talk about it today, is something I find very interesting the last couple of years, something I've been studying and thinking through and working through, especially through the pandemic and, and thinking of this. And so we're not going to talk a lot about it now, but the one thing that just kind of stood out to me as I've been looking at this is how often the Bible talks about conscience and the importance of it. And, uh, and if it's something that's of interest to you uh, and you want to think through it more, there's a, a book called uh, Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. It's a book that's in our library. Uh, I would certainly recommend that to you uh, to, to read it and, and think it through. Uh, I've found it to be very practical in the Christian life to think through the conscience and, and how that means we live as a community, as brothers and sisters, where our conscience does not line up all the time or very often and how we can work through that. But we see here the importance of, of the conscience in giving our God's story, that we have a clean conscience before God, and we continue to pursue that. So this is what Paul says. Now, we're getting into the, the main theme of this passage, and uh, what do you think of Ananias' response to this? You see in verse two, because of what Paul says, Ananias has him punched in the mouth. Uh, I was thinking of myself, it's been a long time since I have been punched in the mouth. Uh, it's been a few years. I think the last time, I mean, I don't know, it's getting punched in the head, so maybe there's other times I don't remember, but uh, the last time I remember at least uh, was in high school. Uh, someone, a couple of times it happened, I've been hit in the mouth. But thinking back to that situation, some would probably argue that I probably deserved it because of the button pushing I was doing with that same mouth that got punched. Uh, and it probably, I probably had it coming in one way or another. Uh, and I think the second time happened because I clearly did not learn my lesson the first time. But I want you to see here the, a huge difference, complete difference. Not that that's right to punch someone because they say something. You don't take that message from, from that. But what I want you to see here is how this punch to Paul is completely unprovoked. Right? All Paul says is, I've lived a clean, good, clean conscience before God. Ananias, the high priest, said, has him hit across the face. And according to Leviticus 19.15, uh, this was clearly wrong for the high priest to have this done in the court like this. And so clearly it is wrong. And so here we get a hint into this high priest. His name is Ananias. Uh, we get a hint of what type of man he is. Uh, there's other writings all the way back to Josephus who wrote a few uh, years after the events of the New Testament. He tells us about this high priest and he was known for being greedy. Uh, he was known for being quick-tempered, which we get a hint of that in this passage here. And he is known for being violent. And so we see again that evidence here uh, that he is not a fan of Paul. He doesn't like what Paul said, had him punched uh, in the face for saying this. Now, I want to, in light of this, look at three responses from the Apostle Paul. 
that he has in light of this, really all the way from verse three down to 10, this punch across the face kind of sets this whole section off in one way or another. And so look at his three responses and ask the question, what do you think of Paul's responses here? The first response, we see Paul insulting this high priest or whoever he thought it was at this point. He says there, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Now, all we have is Luke, who who the author of Acts, talking about this. And so we don't know timeline, we don't know motives, but it does seem like it's in direct response to being punched that he says this to, the, to whoever at this point. I'll get to what I mean why I say whoever, but uh, why he says this. It seems to be instant. It seems to be something he says quick, uh, maybe angry, uh, not something said you know, gently. It seems to be something said with force. Um, But that, I don't want to read too much into it. That's just how I see that. And he tells this person, God will strike you for being a hypocrite. See, that idea of a whitewashed wall is is, uh, an insult for being a hypocrite. Uh, Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Uh, The idea that in that day, tombs looked nice on the outside. They had a white complexion to a color to it. uh, And it looked nice and good. But on the inside, of the tomb was only death. And so that's the idea of hypocrisy, that you look clean and good on the outside, but behind that exterior is nothing, is death. It doesn't line up. And so typically it means uh, you are a hypocrite. And he says you're a hypocrite because you are in this court judging me according to the law, yet by punching me across the face, you are breaking that very law that you are supposed to be judging judging me by. And so that's his seemingly quick response for this punch. Now, the second response that we see from Paul is down into verses four and five. When Paul says this, those who stood by asked the question, would you revile God's high priest? Now, they don't say anything about Ananias's ordering this person to strike him across the face. They kind of overlook that. They certainly have a person in mind that they're siding with. And in light of that, Paul realizing, as we see in verse five, he says this, he said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And so he's quoting from Exodus 22, verse uh, 28, And that he realized that this is the high priest that I have just spoken to. And according to Exodus, his understanding of that is he should not have spoke the way that he did upon realizing who he was speaking to. Now, a question that keeps coming up as I've been studying this all week, maybe you're asking the same question as well, thinking through verses three to five. Why does Paul not know It was the high priest. Maybe some of you have a definitive answer because I do not have one. Uh, And and as I've been reading all through the commentaries, everyone has different reasons and no one seems to have a solid, solid understanding of fully for sure what's going on here. So I'm going to give you a couple of different options. Maybe you have another option. That's fine. 
Uh, but there's some different thoughts on why Paul, this whole process happens. He says this, but doesn't realize who he is talking to. Um, he, because typically you would know that it's the high priest talking because of their garments and who the person is. He was a person, you know, that everyone knew uh, who, who they were. Now there's a couple, uh, give four different options really, really quick. The first one's a little bit different. The other three are very much connected together and the reasons why. Uh, so the first is some have suggested that Paul here is being sarcastic or, or almost being ironic so meaning, because of how the high priest is acting, ordering to have him punched across the face, he's saying, well, I didn't know I'm talking to the high priest because the high priest wouldn't act this way, so clearly you're not the high priest. Kind of giving a sarcastic, ironic answer. I don't lean that way, but I think it's certainly a possibility that maybe he's giving that. If you know the other scriptures, ironic statements like that are certainly not foreign to our Bible. And so uh, it certainly wouldn't be surprising if that was Paul's motive for saying that. Uh, the other reasons that this may have happened, uh, some have suggested, is Paul hasn't been to Jerusalem for a long time. And so he doesn't know who Ananias is. He doesn't know what he looks like, I should say. He doesn't recognize him because he looks different. There's no internet or TV in that day or, or pictures around that he could see what the high priest looks like, right? We, we know what our prime minister looks like. I have never seen him in person, but if he walked in, I would know that's Justin Trudeau just because we have all that. But if we didn't have all those things, I may not know what he looks like. So maybe that's the reason. Uh, some have suggested as well that maybe uh, it was Ananias' day off and he just happened to be in the area. So he's not wearing his high priestly clothes and he's just wearing like, I don't know, shorts and a t-shirt or something like that. And so if you see me like during the week quite often shopping at like Sobeys or Costco or something like that. I'm typically not wearing a collared shirt and pants and I have a mask on. And so if you saw me, I'm typically wearing gym shorts often that probably have paint on them because I just like to paint and I'm a messy painter and some sort of Raptor shirt. And so you might see me with a mask on and that outfit and not recognize me simply because I'm not wearing the you know, the, the Sunday morning attire that I would have here. So maybe that's it. Now, where I lean, but very loosely lean, is this last reason, is that there seems to be biblical evidence that Paul had poor eyesight. Uh, so, for example, in the book of Galatians, uh, he writes at the end that he's writing in very big letters, uh, and that seems to be one of the evidences that, that he's writing large letters so he can see what he is writing down. And so maybe when he says whitewashed wall, he really means that literally as well. Now, I don't have glasses, so I can see pretty good, but some of you who wear glasses, if you take them off and someone was wearing all white, and they were like way back with Bill back there, Bill might, or whoever's back there, might kind of just look like a blurry wall because you can't see, you can't focus. And so that could be the idea that is being said here, that simply because of his poor eyesight, he doesn't know who he's talking to. And so, but I will say in the end, I don't know for sure what's going on. And maybe if you meet a small group, it's something you can kind of think through this whole situation and how this could happen.
Now, just to think through this situation before we get to Paul's third response and just thinking through what's happened here, I think Paul's situation here is certainly difficult, tough, much tougher than a situation I have been in. And I don't pretend that I would do better here at all. But I, what I see in Paul here was maybe evidence of being quick to anger, maybe being quick to respond in confusion, even if what he says in the end is true, but saying something maybe out of anger or quick to respond when maybe he should have paused just for a moment. Uh, he writes in 1 Corinthians 4.12, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. And I was just thinking about that question, and I asked the young adults this week as I began thinking about this, is what is the right Christian response when we get punched in the mouth? <laughs> and I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I want to find out either what I would do and if I would do the right Christian response. Uh, but I was talking with the young adults and Gavin said, maybe it depends on the situation, what the full right answer to that is. And I certainly agree. Because he said also, sometimes you get punched and it's because you deserve it, so you need to just take it. And that's true for me. I, I needed to do that. But I think it's true, as he said, we need much wisdom in how to fully think through that. And maybe it's true that every circumstance is different in how we fully respond to something like this. But when I think through the biblical teachings on things like, and I know this is good for me, that a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. We've been in our 628 class, we've been our, on Thursday nights, we've been teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things that Jesus instructs us is to turn the other cheek. And I believe this is the type of people we need to be, we must be, even in those types of dire situations. Now, I certainly understand there's situations that a full answer needs to happen after those events. But those are things we need to certainly consider and think through in those very difficult situations. Now, Paul's third response, I want us just to look at verses 6 to 10. We see here Paul perceiving his audience, and he says this, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And because of these words, it causes the Pharisees and Sadducees to start fighting. And Luke tells us in the passage why. Because their theology is very different and they have very strong differences and it causes them to start fighting amongst themselves over this truth. I was kind of thinking it's maybe, for example, saying in some church settings, if I said, I am here because I don't believe in the rapture of the church. And all of a sudden, the pre-mills and the ah-mills just start fighting one another over that. Maybe that won't happen here. Those are other, other Baptist churches that would happen. 
Um, I think of um, one of my old Bible schools. If I said something along the lines of, uh, I am here because I am a Calvinist and I believe God chose me, I didn't choose God, oh man. If I could put that in the right way at the right time, oh, it could create a nice conflict right there. And as someone who enjoys that probably too much, it was very tempting. And it was very much at times it would cause, it'd be like, in this corner we have those who choose God, in this corner we have God choose men, ding, 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 fight, and it would go. And so this is what happens with Paul here. And I was just thinking through this situation, and, and I have to admit, Luke writes what happens. This is what he says. I don't know Paul's motives here at all, and so I don't want to read too much into it by any means. He just, Luke just writes what he sees. But my question is, why does Paul say this here? Why does he bring this up in verses 6 to 10? Uh, It's just an interesting way that Luke writes it, that Paul perceives who his audience is, and then he says about the resurrection from the dead, which is no doubt true. And so maybe he simply does just say this because this is true, and it is true, and he would believe this. Yet there's also a side of me where I see it seems that he brings it up because he wants the attention off of himself and so that they will start fighting with one another. To me, I read that and see there's some maybe evidence of that. And maybe if if you see that, you could say, whoa, that was some shrewd thinking of Paul that he was just, man, this is a good way to get the attention off of himself. But also maybe he was just in a time where he was done. He just couldn't take any more of this. He just needed all those eyes off of him and somehow on to other people. It's also interesting as well here that he calls himself a Pharisee and the son of Pharisees. I have questions about that as well in this midst. Now at the end of this, again, I think this poor tribune, uh, this event has led to more fighting and he's had to pull Paul out again to save his life uh, from this mob that the crowd eventually seemingly is going to pull him apart. And I think that poor Tribune has to sit back again that night and think, what is going on here? And Paul is in safety in the barracks that night. Now, I know I've asked lots of questions and thinking through this passage and not given many definite answers of what fully is going on. And I think it's hard to know what's fully happening here. But when Paul is sitting back in his barracks that night, how do you think he felt about his day? My guess is he was very discouraged. Regardless of kind of how you see what happens and and if you read it a little bit different, I think he's sitting back there completely discouraged in a complete dark place. I think, and this is just my personal thought, so take this with a, a grain of salt, but some possible things he may have been thinking that night and the next day and the next night as he's looking back on this hard day thinking things like, I wish I would have paused a moment before I cursed the high priest. Man, my mouth really hurts. He gives a good punch. Why did I let my quick anger shout out like that? 
He shouldn't have had me punched, but I wish I would have responded better. I wish I would have been more helpful to that tribune. He's trying to find out the answers in all of this, and, and, and I wish I didn't bring this up to cause, again, another riot and all this fighting between the Pharisees and the Sadducees because of my words. What a chaotic and confusing day. What good did I accomplish today? And again, maybe you don't read exactly all these events the, the way that I kind of see them here, and that's okay. But what I want us to understand is that all of these things are possible of Paul. Two have been quick to anger. Two have been quick to respond because Paul is a great apostle, but he is merely a man. You see, he is the one who wrote in Romans 7, 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You see, Paul didn't just write that for you and me, which we know that well. He was truly writing that of himself. And I would suggest we see some evidence of that in this difficult day. I mean, have you ever been there a day like that? You're lying in bed at night and you can't sleep and your mind is just going and you're thinking about your day and things like, why did I respond like that? Why did I get angry so quickly? I felt so confused today and yet I spoke so boldly and everyone heard me and I really had no idea what was going on yet I still spoke. Why did I do that? My actions and my words today caused unnecessary conflict. It was a hard, painful day. What good have I done? What good is there left for me to do? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And you see the good news here, and we see the good news in verse 11 is the answer to that question is Jesus. And you see it's in this low time for the Apostle Paul in verse 11 that Jesus comes to him. It's Jesus who is never quick to anger. He is never confused or short-sighted. Jesus is perfectly wise and who always speaks with wisdom. And Jesus always responds rightly. And this scene here in Acts 23, I don't know if you read that and you think of a few years earlier of another man who was struck multiple times in the same courtroom. Yet this man, as it says in Isaiah 53, it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And this Jesus comes to Paul in this low, dark moment in his life. And it says the following night, the Lord stood by him. Just reflect on that statement. Isn't that a neat statement? and how that speaks volumes to Paul. Think of how he was, I think, most likely thinking in the place that he was, 
but Jesus came and stood by his child. And I think this says more than just simply his location being next to him physically, but it's that he was with and for his child, Paul. And we know that Jesus knows Paul. He knows what his day looked like. He tells Paul to take courage and he reminds him, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome that Paul, I have used you before. By my grace, by my strength and power, I have used you. And I have use for you yet in Jerusalem. I mean, isn't there great courage and hope in that after hard, long days, that we can be reminded that as one of God's children saved by grace through faith, that Jesus stands with you. That Jesus has used you and he will continue to use you. And that in those moments of, of struggle and darkness, we can look to Christ. And I'm glad on this day that we could take communion together because it reminds us to, together of all that Christ has done and the hope that he gives for our future. And I want us to see the hope that Paul received in those dark moments, that we look to Christ and his word uh, and his people and be reminded of these truths that Christ stands with us even in those dark difficult nights thinking about our day. It's been a good reminder for me this week that there is only one perfect savior. For as great as the apostle Paul was as an apostle, he was merely a man. There is only one Jesus whom our hope is in. And it's this Jesus by his grace who stands with us even after hard, confusing, wished I spoke and acted differently today, days. And this is good news. This is the hope of the gospel. And as one of our songs we, we did earlier on, that you're not finished with me yet, that that is the message that Jesus gives to Paul and know as one of his children, that is the message that Jesus gives to you and I today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the hope of the gospel. I thank you for your word. Thank you for how in these dark times, how Jesus came to Paul and told him to take courage because of what he, how he has used him in the past and how he plans to use him in the future. Lord, I pray for each one here. You know each heart, you, you know each situation. And I know in a, in a group this size, there are those who are coming today rejoicing. There are those coming today weeping. There are those who have come with a, a good week and there are those who've come with a hard week. That Lord, that we would be reminded that you love us by your grace, that you stand with us in all of life's situations. And I pray that we would trust you, that in our weaknesses, we would, we would turn to your grace and, and find sufficiency in your grace.
Lord, I pray that we would walk in wisdom and just thinking through uh, Paul in these, these verses and, and how hard life can be at times and, and knowing how to best respond in, in any circumstance, let alone very difficult circumstances. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk by your spirit, by wisdom, by conscience, that we would encourage one another in how to best respond uh, in this life. And that by our words and our actions that we would live rightly before you and that we could, as Paul says, have a clean conscience before God, that we would pursue a blameless life and make it right when we fail. So Lord, I thank you for this passage. Thank you for how we can very much relate with Paul being a a human being who does get angry, who does fall short, who does speak when they're confused, but there's so much grace to be found in Christ. And I thank you for that great truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless.